0: Well, after um, 115 sermons in the gospel according to Matthew, we arrive uh, this morning at the pinnacle of the story, the climax of it, the peak of the story. The, what the, the scripture that we just heard read a few minutes ago, where the story climaxes in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The interesting thing as I was studying this story in preparation for this morning is that what what occurred to me as I looked at the story is that actually, the way Matthew tells the story, the story is actually not centered on the crucifixion of Jesus. Truth be told, if you read it in the Greek, the crucifixion of Jesus is. Mentioned directly two times, both of which are in subordinate clauses. In other words, it's a part of the sentence that isn't actually the main point of the sentence. As you look at the story, what you begin to realize is the story is much more about people's response to Jesus in his crucifixion than it is about Jesus himself, dying on the cross, that is. The first half of the story is about those who mock and reject Jesus. The Roman soldiers who dress him up like a mock king and then pay him mock homage before spitting in his face and beating him over the head. It's the story of them crucifying Jesus and offering him a, a drink, it says, that was mixed with gall. Uh, before crucifixion, many victims were offered a A wine that had been mixed with some kind of narcotic agent to dull the pain of the process. But for Jesus, they mixed the wine with something to embitter it and to make it undrinkable. Talks about how they gambled for his clothes. They treated Jesus like a Vegas casino floor game. How they nailed the sarcastic sign above his head, mocking his pretension to be the king of the Jews. The story's about the, the Jews themselves who mock and insult Jesus. Um, everybody. It says the passerbys, the the bystanders, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, even the revolutionaries who are being crucified on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. All of them are, it says, heaping or hurling insults on Jesus, shaking their heads and clucking their tongues and mocking Jesus. Jesus, both for who he claimed to be, the refrain throughout the passages, if this person is the son of God, this person claims to be the son of God, they mock him for who he claims to be, and they mock him for what he is unable to do, the persistent challenges, if this person's the son of God, he should save himself. If he's the son of God, God should save him. Look, he's calling to Elijah, a baby. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And it's all tongue in cheek. It's all mockery. They all reject Jesus because Jesus has disappointed their expectation. All of them. For the Romans, Jesus is a disappointment of a king. He lacks the the pedigree of the nobility. He lacks the power and the prestige. The Roman soldiers are trying to figure out how this lone revolutionary is somehow going to challenge the power of the imperial power of Caesar sitting on the throne in Rome. And it's laughable. Especially for someone who doesn't even have the support of the leadership of the Jewish people or popular support among the masses. For the Jews, Jesus was a disappointment of a Messiah. He wasn't the nationalistic freedom fighter that the crowds were hoping the Messiah would be. He wasn't the the, uh, teacher and upholder of religious law, the, the, the enforcer of religious rules and ethics that the Pharisees wanted him to be. He wasn't the zealous promoter of religious tradition that the chief priests wanted him to be. They rejected Jesus because of how disappointed they were in the kind of king and messiah he claimed to be. And it makes me wonder how many of us have at times and in our own ways pulled back from, distanced ourselves from, rejected Jesus because of the disappointment that he's been to us. Like the Romans, we've wanted a Jesus who is powerful. And instead, in this story, we get a Jesus who is weak. Like the Romans, uh, we want a Jesus who is going to conquer and victorious, be victorious. And in this story, we get a Jesus who seems to be defeated by the powers that be. Like the Romans, we want a Jesus who is going to prove himself to be who he says he is to us and to others. And instead, we get a Jesus who does nothing. Like the Jews, I think sometimes we're disappointed by what Jesus doesn't do. We want a Jesus who's going to fix all of our problems immediately and always. And in this story, we get a Jesus who allows himself to be broken. We want a Jesus who gives us the life that we've always wanted to make us healthy and wealthy, to give us good jobs and good marriages and good families. And in this story, we get a Jesus who, instead of bringing life, chooses to die. We want a Jesus who Agrees with all of our beliefs, a Jesus who affirms all of our uh, ethics and rules and whatever. And what we get is a Jesus who challenges all of our conceptions of what God is like and what it means for Jesus to be a Savior. I wonder how many of us in our own circumstance, in our own life, in our own time, and in our own way, have been disappointed with the Jesus that Jesus has turned out to be for us. And yet the interesting thing about the story is that in the back half of the story, what you get is an unqualified affirmation of who Jesus is. You get an affirmation by God in in the form of all of the things that happen around the death of Jesus. The unnatural and supernatural darkness that falls on the city of Jerusalem in midday when the sun is at its peak. The, The tearing of the temple curtain from the top to the bottom, the earthquake that shakes the ground beneath people's feet and opens the tombs of the saints who had gone before. All of it is symbolic of the ways in which God is affirming that yes, this weak, defeated Jesus is exactly who Jesus claimed to be. The darkness is symbolic of the divine displeasure and judgment on the powers of darkness that had nailed Jesus to the cross. The tearing of the temple curtain, the curtain was the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, the building where only priests could go, that divided the main room of the sanctuary from the holiest place in the temple, the holiest place in all of Israel, the place where God, was said to dwell and the tearing of the temple curtain from top to bottom was symbolic of God saying from now on there are no restrictions to access to my presence. The shaking of the ground is representative of the seismic shift in the cosmos that takes place through the death of Jesus and the opening of the tombs is the unleashing of the power of life. To overthrow the power of death. And I think the invitation of the text is for us to see who Jesus genuinely is in the Jesus that hangs on the cross, the way the, the centurions and the Roman guards did in the story. It says that they saw the events that were happening all around them. That unlike the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, the bystanders and the passersby by and those who were surrounding Jesus, they had eyes to see that Though they had crucified hundreds and thousands of revolutionaries before Jesus, they had never seen a moment like this one. It says in the text, it terrified them. They were shaken to the core and they confessed, surely this man is the son of God. What did they mean by that? Surely in this person, We can see the place where divinity reveals itself through humanity. Surely in this person we see the point of contact between heaven and earth. The place where the the power of the gods is channeled through the life of a man. Surely in this person, we see the one by whom the gods rule all of creation. The one through whom the will of heaven is being done on earth. They confess the truth about who Jesus is. And we are invited in the story to be those who lean in to Jesus hanging on the cross and recognize. The way that Jesus reveals God to us. A God who would rather die for his enemies than kill them. Who would rather save others than save himself. A God who comes in meekness and servanthood. Who would rather serve, giving up his own life than to be served? We say a God who shows up not in power and authority, but through love and hope. And we're invited, like the centurion and the guards that surrounded the cross were invited to embrace this God who reveals himself in Jesus hanging on the cross for himself. We're invited to confess as they did that surely this person is the son of God. Is the place where divinity and humanity meet. The one who shows us what God is Really like surely this one is the son of God. This is the person who becomes the channel of the power of God flooding into the world. Surely this is the person through whom the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. Through whom the kingdom of God comes on earth. So people live in harmony with God and harmony with themselves and harmony with each other. Harmony with the world and all of creation itself. Surely this is the one who judges and condemns the power of darkness. Surely this is the one who tears the curtain that divides humanity and God and opens a way of access, a new relationship between us and God in heaven. Surely this is the one who has created a seismic shift in the universe and who has unleashed the power of life on the world which defeats the power of sin and death surely this is the one and to embrace him for ourselves to embrace the forgiveness and the transformation the healing and the restoration that comes through Jesus gift of his life on the cross So that we forgiven and set free from the power of sin and death that was defeated by the death of Jesus can become those who, like Jesus, radiate the life and love of God into the world. We can, empowered by the Spirit, choose a life of forgiveness and peace and servanthood. And love. That's what the cross of Jesus. Is about. That's what we are invited. To receive. When we in faith. Receive Christ. Entrust our entire lives. To him. That's what we celebrate. When we come to the Lord's table together. In the. Bread and the juice. We celebrate the body and blood, the life and the death of Jesus, who is the place where divinity and humanity meet, the power of God unleashed in the world, the source and the power of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we receive that by faith. Into ourselves and into our life. So as we come this morning. We invite you to come and to receive Jesus. To receive as the Apostle Paul says Christ and him crucified. As the truth about who God is. As the truth about who you and I can be. Because of Christ's gift on the cross. May we come and receive that gift this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your son. We thank you. For Jesus, whose body was broken and whose blood was spilled so that we could have forgiveness and new life. That we could experience um, life, the power of life defeating the power of death. That we could live in the newness of the kingdom of God. And so, would you send your spirit now on this place and on this time? And as we come to the Lord's table, as we take the bread and the juice, which is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, would you fill us? As we come in faith, would you fill us with the life and the love of God exhibited through Christ by the power of the Spirit that we may become Those who radiate the life and love of God into the world. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.